Ephesians 4, verse 25. And here now, God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word, and your word is truth. And so as we uh, come to your word, would you teach us, would you implant your truth deep within us? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The 1999 science fiction movie, The Matrix, presented this dystopian future reality where these intelligent machines had taken over all existence and had imprisoned all of humanity into a sort of farm where they could harvest them for energy. And while the humans were still alive, they um, were put in this elaborate computer simulation uh, that simulated normal reality. Uh, Everything uh, appeared to be normal and fine, and most of humanity accepted this reality as true, all except for the main character who went by the hacker alias Neo. He sensed something was wrong, and uh, what comes to happen is there is a group of individuals led by a, a man who goes by the name of Morpheus who seeks out Neo and gives him an option of coming to know the truth. And he presents him with two pills, a red pill and a blue pill. And he says, if you take one, you will know the truth and all that it entails. And it may not be what you want to know. Or you can take the other pill and you can remain in your blissful ignorance. And Morpheus says this to him. He says, you've been living in a dream world, Neo. In other words, you've been living in the midst of a lie. Now, um, when we think about this whole call to put off the old man and put on the new man, it may seem a bit curious to us that the Apostle Paul starts with a discussion about falsehood and truth. And yet, um, I think there's nothing more of a bedrock to our faith and life than this notion of truth. It's not a stretch to say that the message of the gospel is itself that we have been saved from the lie and saved to the truth in Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this passage, um, I think what we ought to see is that having been saved from the lie and saved to the truth, we are called to speak the truth to each other. We are called to put aside falsehood and speak the truth. Now, there's a series of commands that start here in verse 25 that flesh out this put off and put on, and Paul follows a common outline for all of these commands, and we'll see one of them today, but that pattern is simply put off, put on, and here's why. And in our command, in our command today here in verse 25, it is put away or put off falsehood, put on truth, speaking the truth, because we are members one of another. So he starts by talking about putting away falsehood. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, and this 
phrase is uh, a bit difficult to translate. We see all sorts of different translations through our different English versions. This one says, having put away falsehood. Um, another one says, put away falsehood. Another one says, having put away lying. And um, the word that Paul uses there for falsehood is the word pseudos, uh, the word from which we get our English word, uh, say, uh, Pseudonym, which means false name, or for us coders, uh, pseudocode, which is like fake code that you write to simulate the actual code that you're going to write. It's false or falsehood or a lie. But he uses um, a definite article to say, uh, having put away, uh, put away the falsehood or the lie, as though he's calling out a particular lie. And we ought to ask, well, what is that lie that we are called to put aside? What is this falsehood that he's saying we have put put away or we must put away? Well, I think maybe that word therefore might help us with this. So students, I hope you remember that when we see the word therefore, that ought to point us back to something that came before to help us to understand what that means. And if you remember what Paul's been saying since we got to Ephesians chapter 4, was he said that Gentiles, or those who are not in Christ, are darkened in their understanding. They have a foolishness of their thinking. They, they have, in Romans 1, it says that they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they're not seeing things clearly. And as a result of that uh, inability to see things clearly, they become callous, uh, greedy for to, to practice every kind of impurity. But then he says, he says, but th- that's not the way that you learned Christ. That in Christ Jesus, um, we come to know the truth. In fact, it says, the truth is in Jesus, or in Jesus is the truth. And so we are called to put off that old self that is corrupt with deceitful desires, deceitful desires, false desires, and to put on the new self, which he says is created in true righteousness and holiness. Or a better translation would be created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there's a deceit, and then there's the truth. We've been called from the deceit to the truth. And that's remarkable because what he's saying is that if we want to understand anything rightly, anything truly, it has to be seen in the light of who Jesus is. Everything about who God is, everything about who we are, everything about the way that we live, everything that we need to say, it is true only insofar as it aligns with the truth that is in Christ, or in Christ, this truth. And Jesus himself said this, but we forget. When he was standing before Pilate, he said, I came to bear witness to the truth. So everything he did was to bear witness to the truth. But he said it more directly before that. I'm sure you remember when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he himself is that truth. But we're caught in this pattern. All mankind is caught in this pattern of falsehood, this foolishness. Um, 
And if you remember reading through Romans chapter 1, Paul gives this picture of how mankind has, God has put all things, all this truth on display, and yet mankind rejected it. And it says he, we exchanged the truth for the lie. So the truth has always been there, but we exchanged that for the lie. And as a result, we've bought the lie wholesale. We live in the lie, and everything we do is in this false uh, reality that is untrue. And we feel it. And, and we see it in Scripture, too, that t- it testifies to it. Psalm 116 says, All men are liars, I said in my distress. And Psalm 12 says, Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And we experience it. We, we sense it as it comes out of our mouths. We sense it when we discern what people say to us. When we know that it's, it's not true. We see it in the expressions that don't mirror up with what we say uh, we believe. And it and it feels, yet this reality, this, this false reality, feels real. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we're re- resistant to that truth. If you haven't read John chapter 8, uh, or whether you have, I'd encourage you to, to read that this afternoon. Uh, in John chapter 8, the, or Jesus spends some time arguing with the religious leaders about this notion of truth. And I'll summarize what he says. And he basically says, I am the truth, and my words are true. And the reason you don't believe my words is because you are not of God. God is not your father. Yet, your father is the devil, and he is the father of lies. And he speaks, when he speaks lies, that's his native tongue. And you speak that same native tongue. And so when I speak the truth, you don't believe me because I speak the truth. And that's why you hate me. And so there's this enmity, this, this, this fight between the truth and the false. Uh, and what Jesus says is that I am the truth. But what Paul has been saying in Ephesians is that the good news of the gospel is that God in his grace has shown the light of his gospel into his into our hearts so that we can receive that truth so we can accept it as true so that we can believe it and so that we can live in it um, scripture uses the the terminology of um, being enlightened the eyes of our hearts enlightened having been darkened to the truth now enlightened to receive the truth and so having been clothed with the truth And saved from the falsehood, Paul, in verse 25, says, Therefore, having put away the falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So we are, uh, it's it's both a statement and a command. Notice, we've we've been delivered out of that falsehood, but at the same time, we're commanded to stop living in that falsehood. We're, we've been delivered to the truth, but we're commanded to speak that truth. So to summarize what we've been saying is that the lie is everything that is against God's truth. It is 
the lie that was begun in the garden when the serpent said, did God really say? That's, you won't really die. God knows that you'll become like him. It's questioning the truth that is from God, and it is everything that flows from it. For all sin, all lying, all deception, all everything flows from that denial of the truth of who God is. If you think about your sin, you think about the the situations where we lie. It is situations where we are, we feel wrong, we feel exposed, we feel uh, unwilling to admit something that is true. Um, We are caught in a sin and we don't want to be caught. Um, So the lie flows, or lies flow from that lie. All falsehood is grounded in the lie that is a denial of who God is and who Christ is. But we've been delivered from this, so we must live and speak the truth. And remember, the Apostle Paul doesn't just tell us, well, stop doing that, put that off. But there's always an exhortation to put off and to put on. And then we see that here in this command. He says, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So the force of this is a command. Essentially what he's saying, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor. We're to speak that truth. Um, and coincidentally, in the Greek, this is a little harder to see from the English, but in the Greek, um, mentioned that he uses this term of the lie or the falsehood. But when it comes to the truth, he doesn't use the definite article. It's just truth. He doesn't say speak the truth. It's speak truth. And I think there's something to be learned there. For if the lie... He's, he's pointing to a prime lie from which all lies flow. The truth is a little bit different. Because for something to be true, it, it, it's, it's truth in its entirety. You can't have a notion of multiple truths as though, like, this is true for me and this is, that's true for you. That's, a, that's nonsense that we have to reject. All truth is God's truth. And the truth is what God says it is. And the truth is in Jesus. God's word never fails. God's word is true. There's no multiple versions of it. And for us to have any comprehension of what is true and right, we have to align our thinking to what God says, to align it with his truth. That's the only way that we'll have an apprehension of true truth or Uh, a full picture of truth. So if you're here and you haven't put your faith in Christ, you don't know the truth of Jesus, then you might be sitting here and saying, I don't know that I really believe what you're saying. Um, You're saying that I can't know anything truly unless I believe in Jesus. And I'm saying, yes, that's, that's what Scripture says. And you might say, well, that's, that's false because I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I know the earth is round. I know how to do my job with skill, and I know how to change a baby's diaper. I can do things, so I know facts, and I know that I know truth. And I would say, well, you know facts, but you don't know truth. And those two things are different. 
Yes, you might know that 2 plus 2 is 4, but why is 2 plus 2 4? Why, why do we have mathematics? Why is there order to the universe such that that works? Why do we have numbers? You might know the earth is round, but why does the earth exist? Why does it maintain its orbit? Why, why does it not collapse? Why is it inhabitable? You might know how to do your job, but how, how did you come to have those desires to do that job? How did you come to have those gifts? When you got that job, what was it that made them choose you over somebody else? Why don't they fire you right now? Why do you show up to work every week? How do you live in a way that, you know, what, what's the pursuit of your work? What's the end, the, the, the goal? And why do we have the joy of being able to raise children? Why, why is that the way that our existence is? How do we parent in a way that is right and good? And what is, what is the purpose of our parenting? What's, what's the purpose of these little ones that we've been given charge over? These are, these are questions that govern our everyday existence. And yet, apart from what God says about our existence, we don't know what is true. We live with the facts and we muddle along with our own perception, which is marred in falsehood. But for us who are in Christ, know that we're not too far different from that because we've been delivered out of that falsehood, but it's, we've been given eyes to see, but it's a progression. We were born in foolishness, but we need to grow in the wisdom of Christ. It's a it's a uh, process of relearning everything that we do, reevaluating everything through the lens of who Christ is and what God calls us to do through his word. But notice that the command isn't to believe the truth. The command is, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We are called to speak. It's something that we're supposed to uh, use our our mouths to do, to utter to one another. And um, obviously that means that we have to believe the truth. We need to know the truth in order to be able to speak the truth. But the command is a far greater bar that we actually have to speak that truth. And notice the universal nature of the command. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Each one of us. Like I said, the, the, the force of the Greek is speak truth, each one of you. We are all called to that command. So uh, there's an there's a exhortation for us to not, um, not just be saved by the truth, but to dwell in the truth, for this to become our way of life, our mindset, our, our full thought process, to be constantly aligning everything that we think and believe and say to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. Um, the Apostle John wrote, I have, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. So the truth is a lifestyle that results in our speech. And we ought to see that this is something that um, is that we dwell in, but that the church, as the community community of God, saved by the, um, the very word of God, 
is to be the locus of truth and a community of truth. And I say that for a few reasons. First off, he says, um, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul in this book has made a big point to talk about how we are united both to Christ, but also to one another, that we are members of the same body. We are members of the same household being built into a holy temple for the Lord. So there is a unique relationship that we share with one another, and that is the reason that he's giving for us to speak the truth with one another. But um, secondly, if you remember back in uh, chapter 4, Paul had said that Christ has given gifts to the church to build us up so that we might do the work of ministry, each one of us. And he says, so that speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there's a unique responsibility that we have with one another in the body of Christ to speak truth, to build one another up. But the third reason, and I'll admit this is going to be the hardest one for us to grasp, is that Paul seems to have in view that this New Testament community that we have in the church is a fulfillment of God's Old Testament prophecies for his people. So we read Zechariah chapter 8. In Zechariah chapter 8, he's talking about God giving his promises that he will dwell with his people and he will form a community that is united in righteousness and holiness because God himself is present and he's dwelling with them. And as we read, starting in verse 16 of that chapter, he gave commands to his people that because God is dwelling with them, because they will be righteous and holy, this is how they ought to live in a way that is pleasing to him. Well, that very first command in Zechariah 8 that he gives is, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. And Paul has been saying that the Lord Jesus by his spirit now dwells in the church, which is his temple. So that Old Testament fulfillment, which God has promised, has now come true in the people of the church. That God dwells with us. And so he is saying, now as this new covenant community, joined and held together by God's Spirit, where God dwells in us, you must be holy and you must speak truth. So you must cultivate that spirit of truth. And so it's a, a way of life that ought to be cultivated and grown within the church. Now, um, this is a, a truth, that this truth is something that the Lord desires from the inside out. We read from Psalm 15 where he says, you uh, desire somebody who speaks truth in his heart. Uh, Psalm 51, in that great penitential prayer, he says, you desire truth in the innermost parts. Um, and here he says, but you ought to speak, you must speak truth. To one another. And the Lord Jesus said, it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so we ought to speak. But what's important for us to realize is there's a distinction between honesty and truth. And what Paul is, has in view is not honesty, but truth. 
They go hand in hand, but they're slightly different. And let's follow some examples of what I mean. Um, so if, the tr- if we were to speak truth, then that means it's grounded in the truth of who Jesus is and all that God has say, said to us. So if we consider some things that Paul has said in the book of Ephesians and how we tend to speak in a way that is false and counter to that, it can be helpful. So Paul has said that out of his so- God's sovereign love for us in Jesus Christ, he has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, and he has called us to be his, and we are secure in his grip. But when we fail to speak any truth with joy, there's something about our lack of presentation that denies that reality. We are promoting a falseness that those promises are not really true promises. They, they've they done nothing to change the way that we live. It's given us no joy and no hope because uh, if we were to cling to that promise that we are safe and secure in the grip of our Savior and we have been granted every spiritual blessing in Christ, we would be filled with joy and we wouldn't be able to stop speaking of that hope. And so, We ought not to hesitate in fear if we were to speak the truth in love. We ought to meditate on the reality of that promise and to speak and to encourage one another in that thing. Another thing that uh, Paul said is that the Lord Jesus Christ has been ascended into the heavenly places and he's been seated in the heavenly places and all things have been put under his feet and he reigns as king now. So if that's true, how could we speak as though everything in our existence is bad? That there is nothing good in this world. How could everything be negative and frustrating and unhelpful or unpraiseworthy? It's, It's false. If Christ is exalted above all things, if he is reigning supreme, then he is at work. And all things are working out in accordance with his good. And so that's why Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is true, speak of those things. We ought to have this this view to look, to have eyes to see what has God done? What is Christ doing? What is praiseworthy? And encourage each other with that. That's speaking the truth. That Christ is reigning. Or the Apostle Paul says that that powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is that same spirit that is at work in you and me. And that he is sanctifying us, preparing us for eternity with him. So how could we ever utter the words, that's the way she's always been. That's the way he's always been. It's never going to get it any better. Some of us have faced tremendous hurt over many years of our lives. And it is an honest thing to feel as though nothing is ever going to change or nothing will ever change or nothing has changed. But it's false, my friends. 
if Christ by his spirit is powerfully at work in his people, then that is a false statement. You and your spouse and your kids are being sanctified by his powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so he is breathing life into you. Now change may be slow and change may be painful, but change is happening. So we ought to be looking for how has Christ been at work so that we can encourage one another to say, praise God, his spirit has been at work in you. I see it, and I see it that things are improving. Or we've read that, that God has gifted every one of us to the church as gifts for service, and that we are to pursue eagerly unity with one another. And yet we say the words, I'm too busy, I can't do that. That's an honest statement. We are all very busy. But the question is, is it true? Are we really so busy that we can't serve one another? Does God, did God not know your situation before you got into it? Or is your busyness masking something else? Is that response a false statement cloaking the fact that you are running to something that you don't need and running away from something that is to your benefit. These are ways that we need to grow in our speaking the truth. Um, and and that, we need to go back to that. that this, this is a command for us to speak the truth in love. It, it is, yes, we're called to know the truth, but it's to speak the truth. And there's something, I think, in the way that the Lord has made us as people that the very act of speaking is a sanctifying experience. Now, I've taught a lot of Sunday school classes uh, and for kids and youth and adults, and we're very good when we present some bit of truth to get a lot of north and south and, oh, yeah, you know, even comments afterwards, yeah, that was, that was a great, great class. But as soon as I ask a question, okay, so tell me in your own words what that means. There's a deer in headlights, look of fear, because there's something about moving from I believe this to I say it that is very different. You have to, there's, you're putting yourself out there. Our, our mouths are an incredible filter for our hearts, are they not? Uh, we can talk about having false lips where we say things that we don't really think, but sometimes we're, we're terrified because they will say the things that we think. And we know that the things that are in our hearts, we don't want to let out. Um, which causes a lot of us to want to just not even say anything at all. <laughs> because I don't want to, I, I want to maintain this perception of who I am. And as soon as I start talking, you're going to know everything, all the falsehood that's coming out. And yet our God knows this. Our God is the one who sees inside of our hearts and he knows where the falsehood is, and he he calls us to speak. And um, sometimes we don't really have the words to say. And to this, I think about kids. Like when kids go from infants to babblers to little conversationalists, they say all sorts of funny things. They they misspeak words. They they uh, you know mispronounce things. Uh, you know it's it's funny. They 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 don't understand words. 
And we're the, and we're the same way. Like, we, we don't always know the words to say, or we misspeak things. You know, we try to speak the truth, and uh, it just comes out, you know, a babbling. But how, how tragic is it when little kids won't speak because they're afraid of making mistakes? And the same thing's for us, is that God, I think, has ordained for us, for his children, to speak as a means of cultivating that truth. Because when you say when you say these things out loud, um, you realize what you don't know. And, and this is, I think, the blessing, parents and dads in particular, of the blessing of family worship. When, when I was a young father, I was terrified of the idea of family worship because I knew that I didn't know what I needed in order to teach these kids or to help my wife. But it was a tremendous blessing for me. And Maybe you don't really have all the answers, and that's fine, because God doesn't say, well, first get all the answers before you talk. No, he says, speak the truth. He, he supplies the answers as you are faithful. And remember, Jesus said, your word is truth. So one easy way to speak the truth is simply to consistently read God's word to your family. That very act of reading God's word is speaking the truth. And God blesses his word. Uh, last point I wanted to make was just this communal nature. I think we, we have to see how he says uh, we must speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. That's the reason that he gives why we must speak the truth. Somebody once said that a lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. And that's pretty graphic, but I think that's helpful. And so that ought to be a reminder for us that our speech before one another is important. That we are called to speak the truth. And whether we're talk, whatever flavor of lying we're talking about, whether we're talking about flattery or slander, or little white lies, or big gross lies, or speaking false truth, or refusing to speak whatsoever, those are hurting the body of Christ. We are called to build one another up in the truth. They destroy unity, and they harm the body. Um, truth builds up the body. The truth, and, and maybe this is why we hesitate, truth is often costly. Truth often means pointing things out that thing that people don't want pointed out. And so it involves pursuing others with the truth out of love, even at our own cost. And if we need a picture of the costliness of truth, we've got nowhere to look but at our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. And he said he came to bear witness to the truth. He's the one that pursued after the Pharisees. And he said, your father is of the devil. He pursued after the, the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the outcasts of society. And he showed them himself because he knew of their need. He's the one that proclaimed grace that was in him. And when he was on the cross, he was testifying to the reality, the truth of our sin. But also testifying to the truth of God's grace in sending his son. 
but in his resurrection, he testified to the power of God's promises being yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ, that if we would only put our hope in this truth of Jesus Christ, that we would be alive. He alone is the truth. He's the one that we ought to imbibe as our truth. We ought to live in it. We ought to breathe it. We ought to speak it out of love for one another because we are a community of truth built up in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you do speak truth to us and thank you that you sent your son and even your spirit of truth. You desire truth in the inmost parts. Would you bring it about? We love you. We desire to be your mouthpiece in the midst of this world, even as we encourage one another, even as we build one another up. Would you help us to do that for your glory's sake? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.